No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation. In the capital of this nation, 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour long grassroots talk show. Will attempt, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia. Uh, I hope my show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So feel free to call in if you have a question at 888-628-6008. Uh, tonight, we have a very special guest. Uh, Connie Morella, Congressman, former Congresswoman Connie Morella. Uh, Congresswoman Morella represented the 8th District of Maryland for 16 years. Uh, and during that time, uh, she proffered more than, uh, we, we looked more than 200 pieces of legislation that she either sponsored or co-sponsored. A hundred pieces of those leg, of that legislation were uh, bipartisan. They were sponsored. Uh, they became bipartisan legislation. Uh, she focused primarily on uh, issues of domestic violence, uh, child support, uh, programs for the elderly, environmental protection, health care reform, and human rights. After leaving, she became the U.S. ambassador to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and development in Paris, and we're excited to have her. I'm excited to have her with us uh, tonight. Thanks so much, Congresswoman, for taking the time to be with us. Uh, I'm excited to be with you. That was quite an introduction. Uh, thank you. As the wow. West one said, too much of a good thing can be downright enjoyable. So thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be on exactly. Well, that's another. That's something we have in common because my favorite quote of all time, my favorite quip of all time, comes from Mae West, who said, I used to be Snow White, but I drifted. You know, I, that's my absolute favorite. But let me ask you, uh, Congresswoman, more than 250 pieces of legislation, my staff tells me, that you either sponsored or co-sponsored in your 16 years in Congress, and 100 pieces of legislation that were bipartisan, why can't we do that today? Why don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I think it would be hard to find somebody with that kind of record in Congress today, right? We've become so divided. So can you give us some sense of what you think is different today than, than, than it was uh, when you were in Congress uh, in, in, in 2000, 2003? Well, I wish I were a magician and could come up with the answer. But, you know, I am, I am, I continue to be involved with what's going on. I am a political junkie. 
I I believe in what Yates once said. He said, I helped to wind the clock. I came to hear it hear, hear it strike. And that's the way I feel about Congress. And so I grieve that polarization seems to be the major factor um, in what they do and what they don't do. And the polarization, it comes from many different areas. And, you know, as a matter of fact, um, I would say, may I call you Michael or President or Your Honor or Your Excellency? (laughs) But I think it's anything I have before. Yeah, go ahead. I think it also is something that has permeated our society beyond the legislative level. And that troubles me greatly because you're finding now in schools, you're finding in areas, you're finding in organizations, people don't want to listen to somebody who doesn't feel the way they do. And so Congress has not been a good example in that regard. Um, I think there are a lot of things that can be done about it. I don't, I won't say they will um, uh, eliminate it totally, uh, but I think members of Congress need to spend more time, uh, more time with people of the other party. They are members who are, uh, if they're Republican, spend more time with the Democrats. Democrats, spend more time with Republicans. Listen, learn, and lead. And you will find there aren't that many differences between people. Maybe we differ on some issues, but there are some where we can find a compromise or where we do happen to agree. But they don't know each other. And one of the reasons they don't know each other is I don't think that um, the leadership of both parties are promoting it. They're thinking about what they want to get done. They are not saying try to work out what you can to come out with a measure that will help all of the people. And so I think that's part of it. I think also the the onus um, comes also from raising money. Oh, yes, I had to raise money, too, when I was in Congress. But now it has become such a major um, crusade that, members of Congress will go from their offices over to the DNC, Democratic National Committee, or the RNC, the Republican National Committee, uh, and they will raise money. And they will raise money for themselves, and they'll raise money for the party. That takes them away from being with their colleagues of the other party and having an opportunity to listen and absorb where the issues are emanating and where they're coming from. So I think we need to do more with um, um, with having them get to know each other. You know, I found that when I went on congressional trips overseas, they were always bipartisan. That was a great opportunity to be with uh, members of the other party who were in Congress with me and to chat with them. So I actually encourage members to um, to be able to travel with members of the other party so they get to know them. If, can I continue saying things about that? Can I continue? Yeah, absolutely. We want well, you yeah, to talk as much as you can. I, I, just want to, I just want to throw this idea out. I don't know how people would respond. I really think that members of Congress should be required to spend uh, three full weeks of every month in Congress. By that, I mean not going back to their districts. And then one week, go back and stay in their districts. They can still find out what's happening, uh, uh, you know, with their constituents yeah. while they're in Washington. But this way, 
Their children can go to school with the children of other members of Congress. They can get to know the community. They can get to know their colleagues. Um, I, I, I really think that kind of thing would help. It's just that they, they may want to listen to each other, but they don't have time, and they're so busy trying to get their thing across for their party. So that's just one of the things, and raising the money. You know, in the state legislature, I served in the Maryland legislature for eight years before I went to Congress, and I know they're only in session for 90 days. But during those 90 days, you couldn't raise money. <laughs> you had to wait till after or before. Now, you can't do that totally with Congress, but you could work out something where maybe that week when they're home, you know, uh, they could raise money besides going to community events in the districts they represent. But so I think those are some of the things that are happening. And I'm just so worried about polarization, how it affects every every facet of our society. Yeah. Well, let me first Does say that. Does it make that- sense? Yes, it does. And it, it's great advice coming from you because it's really an advantage that you had, right? You you were, uh, you were I don't know exactly oh, where in the county you live, but, but, you know, you were close to Capitol Hill all the time. And, and uh, oh, you absolutely. know, uh, yeah. Should we have public financing? Do you believe we should have public finance of, of uh, congressional campaigns? I think if if they could work it out, I think yes. I think some. I think public financing would help. Uh, it's not easy to work something out with regard to the financing, but yes, I, I think so. What I also think when I when I suggested that for the uh, three weeks they be in Washington, they can get some money for um, their accommodations outside of their district, but maybe they should get a little bit more in order to stay in Washington. For those uh, for those three weeks out of every month, I wouldn't need it because just as you say, I just get in. I get in the car every morning and shot down to Capitol Hill. Yeah. Um, and a number of the other members of Congress actually had their um, uh, addresses also in Montgomery County. They didn't stay mm-hmm. here, but they had spots where if they had to stay overnight, they would um, be able to uh, have that accommodation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, so think I, that's I, a, think... I think that's a great idea. And we have a local reverend who went to resolve a dispute in Virginia between uh, uh, workers who uh, African-American and Latino workers who were fighting with each other down in southern Virginia where they make ham. And he went and he got them together. And they formed a union because he had dinners. He would have dinners and he would mm-hmm. have them all sit down. And they never talked to each other. They worked in the same factories and they never talked to each other. But he had them sit down and say, look, you guys, you know, you guys should be partners. You shouldn't be enemies. And, yeah, so I think that's a wonderful idea. Let yeah, me that's, ask you. A, that's an exact reflection of what I am, of what I am saying. Yeah. They don't know each other. Yeah. Incidentally, speaking of, of, of that, I'm reminded there are trips that, that they can take on a bipartisan basis in addition to the ones overseas that I alluded to. Uh, but I, I will remember in back, I think it was 1990, uh, I went uh, on a bipartisan trip with John Lewis. John Lewis was elected with me, as was Nancy 
um, um, our speaker, uh, elected Lugsy, at the same yeah. time into the 100th Congress. Yeah, what we did is, we, and then we had Amo Houghton from New York, a Republican. We had some other Democrats. We, we crossed the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, and it was to commemorate the 25th anniversary of, um, of the march uh, to, from Selma to Montgomery that was, uh, we did it in 1990, which was the 25th anniversary. And, and that was the kind of thing that brings people together when right. they care about something, and you bring both parties together and they can work out solutions. They go back. They can work not only on those issues, but they can work on a lot of other issues and, and, and know their, uh, their colleagues uh, in the other party. Well, I think that's a wonderful so, idea. And let, let me ask you, you were a Republican from Montgomery County who was preceded by Mike Barnes, a very well-liked Democrat, and mm-hmm. uh, right. and and succeeded by Chris Van Hollen, who's mm-hmm. now a Democratic senator, right. and Jamie Raskin. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. does mm-hmm. a Republican get elected eight times uh, in in, in a, a county that's so solidly Democrat? <laughs> I mean, how did, what's your magic... Uh, formula. Uh-huh. It cannot happen anymore. Can we have liberal Republicans who who who, who get elected? Or are we so uh-huh. divided that that can't happen? Uh, well, people have to develop a trust and a confidence in you, and and yeah, they have to know you're not going to agree on a hundred of the hundred percent of the issues. But you're going to agree on the basic issues that are important to them. How do you do that? You have to make sure they know who you are. I mean, you know, yeah. there's no, like, separation between you and your constituents. Uh, you have to be places. You have to listen. You have to learn. Uh, and, and and show respect for people. It's like George Washington, who did his rules of civility and decent behavior. One of them was, I think, the first rule, when in the company of others, act with respect for those who are present. And, you know, I, I, this may not be anything I should say, but I'm going to give you an example of, of developing confidence with your constituents. You know, once in a while, not often, a staff person would say, Congresswoman Morella, I can't answer this letter because it's just a nasty letter that was written. And so I'll say, well, just put a phone number on it and put it on this, on this box on my desk. Well, maybe two days later, I would be in my office and people would be doing continuing resolutions on the floor of the house, but I'm in my office. And so I pick up that letter and I make the phone call and I'll say, um, uh, Mr. Smith, Connie Morella. And then it would be silence. Yeah, and I'd say, I sure. just want you to know I'm, I'm calling you. Yeah, I'm calling you from my office and I want you to know I read your letter and it was, oh, I got one of two answers. I didn't think you'd read it. And then the other answer was, I didn't mean what I said. (laughs) Well, okay, why do I tell you that? We then had a brief conversation. He was so thrilled that I called him. I later find out that when he went to his Rotary Club, he told them the congresswoman personally called me. When he went to his church or his synagogue or, or his clubhouse, he said the congresswoman personally called me. Well, you know, that kind of showing 
that you care and that you will listen to people, I think is very helpful. Then, of course, you have to work on the issues. You have to know what the issues are. I represented the federal establishment, obviously. I also had the medical community, National Institutes of Health. I had my special place, National Institute of Standards and Technology, that has done such wonderful things. And so, obviously, my my federal employees in the District of Columbia, the region, were very, very important to me. And so I, I was very good on all those issues and, and available, accessible, responsible, and I hope helpful. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny that you should give this example because when I told my best friend, Pete, that you were going to be on the show tonight, he said, I answered my door when I lived on West Virginia Avenue and it says the many, many years ago, we, you know, when we were long before we were married, right out of college, he said, and I opened the door and this woman said to me, hi, I'm Connie Morella and I'm running for Congress. And she, and he said, I voted for her then and I voted for her every time she ran. So uh, obviously reaching out to people is the right thing to do. Thank, yeah, thank you for for the example because really that that's exactly what I did. I would, I, in fact, I I would get the voter registration list in advance so I could even when I knocked on their door, in most instances, know their name, and and I would just introduce myself. And uh, uh, it it really it really worked out. It just showed I'm a human being. I care about you. I know you're here in this neighborhood. I'm available if you need me. My kids used to say. Uh, elect our mother and get her off the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I was there on the streets. But, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Makes, uh, makes well, a difference. Then uh, That's and, not happening anymore. Now, you, you know, now you've got your, um, right. you're using information technology to communicate with your constituents. You don't quite have that personal, the opportunities um, that are, that could be available, that, but now are not available to go out and meet large groups of your constituents. Well, and I've got to tell you that, first of all, to finish that story, uh, Pete is a Democrat. And, and, and the one mm-hmm. thing, one of the things we have in common is that, uh, he and I both voted for you when we were in Montgomery County. And and you may be one of the only Republicans we ever voted for, but um, <laughs> and, and you're right, you know. And I think people are are revolting against some of that technology because I'll tell you, when I run a congresswoman, I've had people come up to me and say, "I'll vote for you if you promise never to use a robocall." You know, people hate, <laughs> hate those oh, really? things. Yeah. And oh yeah, and it's really tempting for somebody like me that doesn't raise a lot of money to run for office that, you know, because they're very cheap, they're really cheap to do, but people are so annoyed by them. And, and all of us, you know, two weeks, three weeks before primary election in DC, you're getting 20 calls a day, you know, saying the same thing. So, so people really, uh, um, uh, you know, rebel, I think against some of the technology. Let me ask you, you were, mm-hmm. after you left Congress, you became the U.S. ambassador to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris. Can you tell us what that is, what the organization is oh, and what absolutely. they do? Yeah, actually, back after the Second World War, um, the uh, 
if the statement was made uh, in at the UN uh, for the fact that the United States wanted to work with other countries, all the countries, to help develop them. Can you imagine how that was re- the reaction to something yeah. like that when we are recovering from a war ourselves and we have somebody asking for help for these other countries that we should find, uh, uh, that we should form a bond. Well, actually, it did work out that way. It became, it was George Marshall. George Marshall right. who had been Secretary of State, had been a general. George Marshall is the one that made that statement uh, at the UN and uh, also, obviously, to our Congress uh, to get money for an organization to be set up, which became the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And it was to pull in these nations to help them so that that we could work together. Well, that became OECD. At first, it was the um, Office of uh, European Economic Development. Then it became the the Office of uh, Economic and and, um, Cooperative Development, OECD, right? And what it does is it has the most developed nations working together um, for best practices. Uh, you know, the, who is it? Friedman, Tom Friedman wrote the book, The World is Flat. Well, he's wrong because the world has a number of bumps in it, too. And yeah. what OECD tries to do with the ambassadors from these developed countries is to work out what the answers are to smooth the playing field. For instance, the anti-bribery convention, that came from the United States. And before that, you know, for instance, in a place like France, you know, where it's located, uh, as you mentioned, you could get people paying um, paying to to engage in, in graft uh, because they did mm. not have the, you know, the anti-bribery convention. Well, we talked to them about that. They picked up on it, and then it subsequently changed. Uh, a lot has been done with regard to money laundering, and there are so many facets of OECD. So, it, as a matter of fact, even when it came to taxation, uh, the uh, other countries got a lot of information from what we had done, and we've learned from them also. So, it's kind of a getting together of these minds and ambassadors representing the countries that we work with to come up with what can be done that's in the best interest of all. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, we have a secretary general, as a matter of fact. Um, and um, right now, uh, well, when I was there, it was a man from Canada. And then I was still there when they had somebody from Mexico. And uh, now they have somebody from Australia, So, who is the secretary general. So it's working together. And just as we talked about the polarization in Congress, that's one where you really work together. By that, I mean they suggested that the ambassadors have dinners at least once a week or go to one once a week uh, where they, they had dinners with other ambassadors at their residences. So you had a chance, again, on a social basis, but also where you're sort of talking about issues in the evening to uh, to engage with them, to get to know them. You might have lunches during the day, which were, you know, strictly on a, on a particular issue or whatever. But these were uh, opportunities for 
the um, ambassadors from the other countries to get to know each other. So that's the OECD. I still, I still get um, um, information from them, uh, the bulletins from them, what they're doing. Right now, the ambassadorship is in the hands of a, a man from Delaware. He used to be governor of Delaware. Mm-hmm. Well, so well, it was a great opportunity to work together. Mm-hmm. Did this grow out of what we we commonly refer to as the Marshall Plan? Is that how this organization? Oh yeah, that, the, the, yeah. Well, of course, the Marshall Plan—that's it. That's right. it exactly. Right, the Marshall Plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, and, you know, you know how it happened. George Marshall gave a speech at Harvard, yeah. <laughs> and that's where it's he amazing. talked about this family of nations, and that became the beginning of the Marshall Plan. Yeah, which is what established yeah. OECD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, and and I've heard it said many times that. Uh, one of the one of the things that led to the Second World War was the fact that after the First World War, there were so many countries that refused to help Germany that actually wanted the Germans to pay war reparations, and they caused mm-hmm. the German hyperinflation. So there's right that that it's not only a matter of being kind, but it's a a matter of following our own best interests to. To, you to know, yes. well, that's what it's all. That really, that's the bottom line. You're right. That's what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, well, yeah, let I me ask. feel badly that Wilson, Wilson, um, Wilson, Wilson got an ailment at the end of the First World War, which didn't really help either. You know, right. Right. Well, in, in, ter- in terms uh, of working out the peace, yeah. Well, let me ask well, you, and this this is something since 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 you worked with this organization and you have a background in, in economics and things that we need to do to cooperate. One of the things that scares me and I think scares a lot of Americans is this consolidation that we see. You know, some of us are afraid that someday, myself included, uh, Walmart and Amazon will own everything. And, you know, as a political science student, uh, I have a master's degree in political science. And I started, studied a lot of Karl Marx, and Karl Marx would have said that this is inevitable in a democratic capitalist society. Do you think this kind of consolidation, is this is this inevitable? And has it been made worse by the pandemic because it's put so many small businesses oh, out of business? I know. Yeah. So, yeah, so many things that might have been... Um, beginning slightly have been exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, I I don't know. I think we have to proceed with great caution, with great research, with a great look at what the ramifications can be in all areas. And and we we certainly have the mind that can do it. And it's something that I would foster, obviously, you know what the consequences can be uh, if we don't pull in the reins and look at what can be done. And and indeed, we can do that. But, you know, right, right now, there are so many things that Congress is going to be looking at. When you think about, when you talk about companies and all, you think about immigration. And um, you think about, uh, you know, whether or not we, we need the boundaries. Do we have them? And then... I also, you know, look at the debt limit coming up, but yeah. I am pleased that I think McCarthy, who 
won by 15 votes to be speaker again, uh, will be meeting with President Biden uh, to, to do something about this debt ceiling so we don't have to be embarrassed and not yeah. pay what we have already committed to pay. And yeah. um, and then the Oversight Committee. There's so many things happening in Congress now that that we need to look closely at to see whether we should do something, uh, whatever we can, to to make sure they run the course correctly. The Oversight Committee now will be looking at not only, again, Trump's having the papers he shouldn't have had, classified documents, Biden having classified documents that he shouldn't have had, Pence having some things also, and and then looking at um, Hunter Biden. I think that's going to be a big issue. Actually, Mike, you know, I, I will, we, in the Capitol, and you've been through the Capitol building, at one point on the first level, there is this statue of Will Rogers. Will Rogers, Will Rogers, who joked about Congress all the time, but was was a great patriot. Will Rogers said something that I, I think of when I think of the 118th Congress. He said, Congress is a place that starts off each day with a prayer and ends with an investigation. Yeah. And I really think, and we do have, there is a prayer every day when they start uh, the session. And I must say, I really think you're going to have so many investigations taking place that I hope they're going to be able to come to grips with the things that are important. What's happening, as you suggest, with these major corporations, you know, whipping everything up together into their arms, um, what's, what's happening with, you know, inflation, what's happening in Ukraine, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they come to grips with the issues that are so critically important to our country. Well, and I've got to tell you that uh, Will Rogers also said the most brilliant thing that I've ever heard about the Democratic Party, which is I belong to no organized political movement. I'm a Democrat. And, you know, I've been a Democrat for 40 years, <laughs> and I find that to be true. You know, we 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 have a very hard time uh, uh, agreeing on anything. But let me ask you, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you're an independent now. Is that right? You're, no, no, no. Re- I stayed a Republican. You're still a Republican. You know, okay. and you know why I, you know why I, I did? Because I just figured they need to have that voice in the Republican Party. Oh, my you know, God. So when I was there, one of the thing, one of the things we had is we used to have a uh, a caucus and we would meet we'd meet once a week of those moderates and uh-huh. uh you know and we would discuss what are we going to do if this piece of legislation comes out and it's too radical or it's too right wing we are going to offer amendments or we're going to go talk to the speaker about changing it or you will lose this number of votes about 26 votes or something and so you needed that and so i thought that's that was one of the reasons. And besides, if I were to change, people say, she's changing for her own benefit. Yeah. When I became a Republican, this is the time of Jacob Javits, uh, Nelson Rockefeller, Charles right. Mack Mathias. I could go on with all the Charles Mack Mathias. People yes. who were moderates. Yeah, the I know. And it's been changing. And, that, and I grieve about it. So I guess, I guess what you could say, though, about me, Mike, in that regard is, 
I guess I could be called a rhino, you know, Republican in name only, yeah. but I'm still a registered Republican. Yeah. Well, you know, and so there I'm were plenty. I remember friendly. plenty of good Republicans when I, I started in politics by working at the DNC uh, more than 40 years ago. And I remember people like Lowell Weicker and, you know, other, yeah. other uh, moderate Republicans that were very well respected. Mm-hmm. And I also remember that Bob Dole and Ted Kennedy were best friends. I don't think you see of that. Course. On, on on Capitol Ab- Hill anymore, and I worry about that. that. I worry. Right. I worry that you can't elect moderate Republicans, and you 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 can't elect conservative Democrats. I I I worry about that because I think both parties need to be healthy. You can't have you. The world would not be a better place, even though I'm a Democrat. The country would not be better off having all Democrats than it would be having all Republicans. Yeah, right. The parties need each it, other exactly because, because that's well, the way I mean, the you know when you think based. about you, you think about Reagan and Tip O'Neill, they were buddies. Right. I mean, they go off and have their their conversations together, and yeah, exactly. And then sweet um, um, Bill, uh, Michael, Bob Michael, he was the uh, uh-huh. minority leader, and then you know then. Um, New Gingrich, <laughs> New Gingrich okay. took over. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a that was a a shift that was not a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, but, given the given the anyway. fact of what you said previously about about them spending time together and spending more time on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. would do you share my opinion that it would improve Congress to extend? the term of congressman to four years instead of every two years so that they're not constantly running for re-election. Because it seems to me as soon as you, you know, the one nice thing about being the senator is you only have to run every six years. But it seems to me the congressman get elected and then, you know, three months later they're running for re-election. They're raising money, as you pointed out, and they're doing other things to get re-elected. Don't you think a four-year term makes more sense? I agree with you. I agree. But yeah. I, I I have no hope that this is going to happen. Yeah. And at least not going to happen during my lifetime. And why? The very simple reason is the Senate is not going to go for it. Why? Right. Because you see, you could have uh, the House member could have a four year term and it could be at the, it, the two years in the middle of the term mm-hmm. could be at the same time that uh, a um, a member of the Senate is up for re-election, and so the person runs. And if he loses, he stays in the House. If he wins, he knocks off the senator. So the Senate yeah. is the one that, because this had come up before, the Senate is the one that would say, uh-uh, we don't want this. But I agree with you. Every two years, they're elected. You Look at the newspapers. They're elected, and then suddenly you're finding out who's thinking about running against them. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that goes on. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, um, that would that would be a good example. I also, you know, I also think in, in terms of reforms. I'm also, oh, incidentally, I still work with the former members of Congress, um, and we do meet. We meet on a, bi- a bipartisan basis. Obviously, everything we do is bipartisan. We go to, we speak to schools, um, we come up with ideas, we support legislation that is bipartisan, and involved with something called Issue One, which looks at voter integrity and transparency. So 
continuing to work on <laughs> on on those issues because I think they're important. And I think uh, oh, oh, in terms of reforms, I know I'm I'm just mentioning a lot, dropping a lot of ideas and not always following through with them. So forgive me for that. No, but I, I also think that there should be open primaries. I think yes, first of all, I think too. redistricting. They, I think they need to have nonpartisan commissioners um, that that do the redistricting. It shouldn't be in the hands of the those who are elected of one party. Um, I think there should be open primaries. I mean, for instance, um, if you had um, open primary, an independent can vote, and uh, open primary, you could be a Republican, but you have your cast of people running in the primary, and you could vote for a Democrat in the primary. I think that also makes sense, too. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think do too. Um, they, they, they should spend more time on the Hill uh, at, on their committees and with each other talking about legislation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, especially <laughs> this is especially true in the District of Columbia. In the District of Columbia, where we've become a one party city. So if oh, yes. no no one has ever won the Democratic primary and then lost in the in, in the uh, general election. So the primary is the only thing that counts in the District of Columbia, really. Right. And a, mm-hmm. it's a preferential primary. So if you're an independent yeah. or a Republican in the District of Columbia, you really don't have a voice because you don't, you don't, because right. mm-hmm. we never elect Republicans. In fact, Carol Swartz, I don't know if you remember Carol, but she was a Republican. That oh, was I, on, know, I, I know Carol. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's a Republican on the city council who ultimately changed to an independent because he couldn't get elected as a Republican, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and we've had others Mm -hmm. that did the same. So yeah, I believe, I really believe that we should have open primaries that that would help the the system a great deal. But let me, let me ask you, what do you think is going to happen? Do you have any sense of what, uh, uh, former president Trump's, candidacy is going to do to the Republican Party. Is this going to, is, is, you know, it seems to me that there's a, a, a confrontation brewing between these very conservative Republicans that uh, supported Trump and the other branch of the Republican Party. Let's call it the more moderate branch. Do you think mm-hmm. that, that this is just going to be horrible for the party as the primary comes up? Are there going to be 12 Republicans running, and is Trump going to get the nomination again? Because even though he, well, he, you know, I'm not, gets- yeah, I'm not even, I'm not worried about the primary. Well, I yes, I am. But before I worry about the primary, I, I'm worried about what's going to happen in this 118th Congress for the yeah. very reasons that you mentioned. You know, yeah. when you mentioned you've got, you, you've got the. Uh, um, the Democrats have the Senate, but, you know, by slim, very slim margin. The Republicans have the House by a slim margin. The House, right. the, the Republicans have, have dysfunction within their party. I mean, that, I mean, McCarthy's not going to have an easy time, particularly with promises he sort of made. And now they're talking about not allowing, um, um, three of the Democrats to be on a certain committee. Right. You know, the, uh, yeah, right. Uh, and, 
that that's also posing. So I think the difficulty is going to be there getting anything done. Um, and I think there will be some agreements on like Ukraine, uh, maybe some international agreements. Uh, they may find that they can get, come together. But I think a lot of the other issues are going to be like debated and, and put off. Uh, and how do I think for Biden? Um, well, he's getting a few more points, <laughs> not many, but he's getting a few more points. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen uh, on a presidential election on the Republican side with regard to a nominee. Trump is losing some of his so-called luster that he has. Oh yeah, and um, I'm grateful for that. And I guess, you know, there will be a number of people who are watching it very closely. In fact, even my uh, my former governor in Maryland, Hogan, he would love yeah. to have a crack at it, you know. So he well, and he would a, be a great candidate. I think he would mm-hmm. be oh, He's really done a great job. Grammy. And, you know, we had Michael Steele, who was a former chairman of the Republican Party. He was on the show. And I asked him about Hogan because people were talking about Hogan before the last election. And he told me that Hogan wouldn't run then because Hogan knew he wouldn't make it through the primary. So uh, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. maybe he will step up to the maybe he will step up to the plate well, um, this time. Well, he's going to he'll get all that research done to find out where where he yeah. can you know where he could make inroads and whether it's possible. And he'll he'll go around from state to you know certain states and he'll speak. So he's kind of measuring what's going to happen. Um, but you've got um, uh, the um, uh, the governor of Florida. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think he's. I think he is the prime candidate. I I think polling is showing that he is doing better than Trump. Yeah, do you agree? Yes. Yes. But there are a number of others that would also, even Pompeo, a number of others who want to run. Um, uh, the um, the woman who was our UN ambassador who had been governor in her state. Oh, yeah. She, yeah, she, Haley. she would like to also. Nikki, Nikki Haley. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I don't want to vilify the Republican Party here. I can tell you that we had people on the show, we had former members of the Congress on the show who formed a committee when the Democrats did singly the most cynical thing I've ever seen in politics, and that was to give money to far right-wing Republican candidates in the primary because they thought they'd be easier to beat in a general election. The Democratic Governors Association gave more money to one candidate who won his primary than he raised. And, uh, you know, I just thought that was such a cynical thing. Right, that, and, uh, yeah, that, happened, that happened in my state of Maryland. That, that was yes. what happened in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had supported the, the woman Republican who was running for it, who was supported by yeah. Hogan. And she didn't yeah. have a shot at it because of the money that went into her opponent's, uh, her opponent's uh, primary. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I supported that, uh, Wes Moore, who you know, who obviously won as yeah. governor um, in um, in the general election. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that a and shame? I, isn't you see? That's what troubles me. Also, is it this kind of 
uh, it may not be illegal, but it's unethical. That this it's kind of lack of ethics is permeating society. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. When winning is all that when winning is all that counts, you know, when when winning exactly. is all that counts and there there's nothing else out there. I mean, it's just it's just it's just crazy to me, you know, and I trained I've trained uh political candidates that want to run for public office and we also we often talk to them about strategies, but we also have a really when they first come in, we have a long talk with them about ethics and, 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 and doing things the right way. You know, we look at this guy Soros, for example, you know, I, I had a, I had somebody on last week that said they knew everything. Some, some little newspaper in Long Island knew everything about this guy and printed it, but nobody paid attention to it because he was nobody until he got elected. Yeah, he was, and and doesn't, and I I had a member of the press, and I said, doesn't the press have a responsibility here to cover not just what they think is you know going to get headlines, but to actually inform the public? Because I'm sure if voters knew about this guy before he got elected, they wouldn't have elected him. But anyway, right, uh, exactly, exactly. Well, You're so right. You're so right. Well, the press have an op- they they have a, a responsibility also. You know, if they know something to report it, not just scandalous things that have nothing to right. do with uh, right. um, uh, the public. Yeah, no, I right. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they, I was, and you know right. what happens with the governors association giving to the person they think is the weakest candidate? Right. That is again getting into our trust. And the people then, right. they don't know who to trust anymore. And that's right. one of the problems. That's one of the problems we see in even the mental mental health instability, crime. It's, yeah, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure. And I'm not sure it wasn't fraud because I used to work for the DNC in fundraising. And we write to you and we ask you to give us money to support Democratic candidates. And then to take your money and to support the weakest Republican candidate, it seems to me to be bait and switch. Besides being an unethical thing to do politically, it's also lying to your own constituents. It just seems horrible on every level. But we're starting to run out of time. You're you're so so right. Let me ask you something. One of the things that you worked on was environmental protection. The last, uh, yesterday they reported that the last five years have been the hottest five years on record. What do we need to do that we're not doing for global warming to combat uh, global climate change? I think there are many things we need to do, and we have a number of organizations um, that are, are, are trying to work on it, environmental protection, uh, conservation voters. Um, uh, it, it goes on and on. All of those groups are working on it, as well as our government is working on what we can do. Um, we we can begin to make a change. In fact, I was just I was just in Iceland recently. And even in Iceland, it's not as, I know Greenland is colder than Iceland is, 
But even in Iceland, it wasn't as cold as they said it was going to be because they've had some meltage that they've seen glaciers. Antarctica has seen some, too. We've seen them all over. So we have just got to use everything that we can to try to ameliorate uh, and and reduce the um, the fact that we are environmentally um, devastating our society. Yeah, so I don't have one answer. I've a lot of a lot of different things. All of us, all of us, and in the United States, we could do a lot more for the environment too. I am involved with the Chesapeake Bay Society, and they, and of course, it's more than just Maryland. Um, Virginia is part of it too, and of course, some of it is DC too. And they're working on what what can be done, what should be done. And there are just a lot of elements of this, but I think we have to. I think I'm glad you brought it up because I think we have to be cognizant of it and concerned, and then act. Well, thank you for working yeah. with the Chesapeake Bay Society because I, one of the one of my fortunate things in my life is that I've been a longtime friend of a guy that has a marina uh, on the bay. And uh, we've been sailing down there, haven't been in a while, but for 30 years we went sailing on the Chesapeake Bay, and it's such an amazing resource. It's one of the largest estuaries in the world, and uh, it really, really needs to be protected. And I think one of the problems with the bay is that it is partially D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, and you've got to bring those people together on conservation efforts, right? That must be a difficult mm-hmm. a difficult thing to do. That, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and it also affects the, uh, uh, the fish. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so yeah. that, has, that has to do with, with uh, consumption of fish and, you know, it can be so devastating. So you've got to also work a balance between agriculture and and the water quality, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crisfield, Maryland, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is you know was just a thriving fishing community at one time. Which is is there's hardly anything, uh, any industry, fishing industry left there. And you know, in Baltimore yeah. and other other places around the bay. Uh, and and yeah, that's that's one thing we should do. We should probably give everybody a tax credit. We're going out on the bay for for a day just so they can see how wonderful it is, and and then I think there'd be a lot more support for it. Well, we're running out of time here, so let me ask you, Congresswoman: Is there anything that you want to add that I haven't asked? Uh, you've done a great job. No, you've asked a lot of very good questions that have to do with what's going on now. I I, I just hope that. People will keep apprised of what's going on and stay in touch with uh, their members of Congress in terms of what they think should be done. And um, and also uh, uh, look for credibility in what they read and what they hear. And uh, I, I, I just think if it is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And therefore, I think with the program that you have and what you're doing is letting the people know what the situation is and what they can do. And so I think it's getting more people involved in finding out what's happening and doing what they can to help. And I love Congress. I I, I really feel that it is a great institution. 
where people from our country can come together and make a big difference. And, you know, it's interesting because we do have our three branches of government. And very often when I spoke, when I spoke in other countries, you know, they would talk about the president making the difference, not the Congress. Our Congress has the same power that the president does. So we are very fortunate, and we're in a situation where, therefore, we, the people, can also influence our members of Congress. <laughs> and so, yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy camper, live in a great country, got a great, great group, nice opportunity talking to you. I will continue to do what I can to show my support of, uh, of Congress. Well, you know, and our, gover- our government in all ways. <laughs> it's been an honor to have you on the show. I was lucky enough a few years ago to sit next to you at a luncheon at Montgomery College, a place that we both, I think, love. Uh, I, I'm a graduate yeah. of Montgomery College. My brother is a graduate of Montgomery College, and he went on to become president of a college. He started at Montgomery College. It's a great place to start, great institution. So uh, I hope I get to see you again. And let me wish you a happy birthday. You have a happy birthday coming up. You know, February is oh, the worst, February oh, the worst month of the yeah, year well, for you know, me. Lincoln and I have the same birthday. I'm almost as old I know. as Lincoln. <laughs> wow. You know. February 12th. But, but better liked, uh, evidently, because uh, you've lasted longer. <laughs> but you know that that my wife and both my daughters are born in February. So between three birthdays and Valentine's oh. Day, I, I always go broke in February. But uh, I also know that <laughs> women women born under the sign of Aquarius are the absolute best. So happy birthday, and thanks so much for being on hey, the show. Well, thank you. Valentine's, and you know what? Valentine's Day will bring your broken heart together. You know, it'll all right. Well, yeah. Well, thanks. And you know that at the end of every show, we play a song and we dedicate it to uh, uh, the person that was on the show. And today we're going to play a song by a Montgomery County rock star. Here's one by Nils Lofgren called "Going Back." And uh, um, Thanks so much for being on the show, Congresswoman Morella. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you.